Isn't the Lord good this morning? Isn't he good? Man, I love that song. We get to bow our knee to the Savior that, that paid it all for us. You don't know what we're talking about today. We're going to explain some stuff here in detail in a few minutes. Give you guys an opportunity to, to make a decision, a commitment that will ultimately change you for forever. And we're excited about what God's doing. There's a lot of people that have, have united across this city on this one vision of being able to spread the message of Jesus to as many people as we possibly can. It's something that's changed our hearts and our lives. And because of that life change, we can't keep quiet about it. We can hardly sit still in music because we just want to, you know, just, just go nuts for what God's done. Today I showed you that video of George Bailey loaning what was his honeymoon money, his honeymoon money, to a bunch of people who were really in desperate need. Even, even the people themselves became unselfish to a degree. Do you think about it? You know, they really had so much money in the bank. And aside from that first guy there, everybody else said, I can do buy with this. I can do buy with this. People became unselfish. You can only imagine what our city would look like to be full of people like that. People who put others before themselves. What if, what if that person you were thinking of earlier when I asked you, you know someone selfish in your world? Someone in your life that just constantly just only thinks about themselves? What if that person was completely different? What if they actually made a, a change, a life-changing decision, and it, and it changed everything? What would happen? Well, I really firmly believe that life change doesn't happen by us talking a lot about it. Life change happens whenever we decide to take action. And I think that of all the people in this community, people who are followers of Jesus have a responsibility above everyone else to pave and lead the way for what this book, the Bible, says. So today I want to talk about how selfishness leads to family separation. I want to kind of open up with a story. Um, uh, when I was eight years old, I found myself doing uh, exactly what my son, who's four years old, does right now. I was addicted to a game called Mario, and I love Mario, and I talk about Mario frequently because my son plays Mario like all day, every day. Like that's all he talks about. He wakes up, can I play the game pad? And I'm like, no. And he's like, can I, can I play it? And I'm like, no. And he's like, when can I play it? And I'm like, after lunch, after dinner. You know, and he's like, well, okay. And so he'll go eat some cereal and they'll come back and he'll be like, I ate dinner. You know, it's time, it's time. And I'm like, no, that was breakfast, bro. You can't, like that, you, it can't skip that way. But I was in that same scenario where I loved video games. And I remember my brother, he's four years younger than me. He would always want to play the, the game system with me. And I, I don't know if you realize this or not, but I'm old enough, some of you guys, I'm old enough to have played on the original NES. This is a picture of what it looked like. Um, some of the games and different things up. Uh, Super Mario World, man, it was a cartridge that you put in. Like, there was this thing called this cartridge. It's like a little box, and you put it into the system. That We didn't do discs back in the Dizzle, all right? We, we were way, way old school, and we had these cartridges. And, and to get them on, y'all remember this? To get them on, what'd you have to do? Sometimes you get the blue screen, what'd you do? You're blowing it, right? You're blowing it. And I remember uh, doing that and getting the game system, getting myself set up like my son does, and being so excited to play Mario. The, the problem that I had was my little brother was in the way because four years younger, he always wanted to tag along with whatever we were doing. He wanted to be a part of, of, of anything that was happening, any excitement. He wanted to be in the room, be a part. And I remember my mom having this strange, weird rule, and I'm sure none of you parents do this to your kids, um, where, where there was multiple kids, so, so you had to share stuff. And uh, this really weird rule of make sure that after you die, you let your brother play. And let me just tell you, I wasn't a big fan of that because I was pretty good at Mario. And the problem that I had was I would begin to play and I would get past world one, world two, world three, world four. I'd keep playing. He'd watch for hours and hours and we'd be in there and I'm, I'm having a great time, right? 
except for you get down to the far, far levels, they get harder. And as I get really hard into those far levels, I thought, you know, I'm about to die. This is going to be really tough. And I didn't want to die because that meant I'd have to share. And I didn't want to share. And so specifically in my world, don't die. Well, sure enough, without fail, it's not like Pastor Andy's got it all figured out and he's perfect because he's definitely not. Um, I died. And then it came. My younger brother, John Mark, said, hey, you have to let me play now. And I'm like, I don't want you to play now. I'm like, you need to leave. You need to go somewhere else. You need to do anything else. You got to let me play this. Come on, man, let me play again. I've been, I'm talking three and a half hours in. Like, let me play one more, dude. I'm like at the end. And he's like, it's my turn. And my mom would make me play. To kind of illustrate this to you, or make me share rather than play, right? The problem is I get to world eight. I get to the last level. I'm about to get to King Koopa. And then I die and I have to give him the controller. And this is an issue because I don't want that to happen. I'm very selfish at this moment. And I don't know if you guys have recognized this or not, but we were born that way. Like, nobody taught me to be selfish. Nobody, I didn't teach my kids growing up, hey, JJ, let me show you what self, selfishness is all about. Let me show you, bro. Sit here. Let's talk about it. We'll take 15 minutes to just dissect this thing down and show you how you can be the most selfish person in the world. It'll be awesome. That never happened. But I have a four-year-old, and I have a two-year-old, and my two-year-old, Jace, his, his new words that, like, he come to say is mine, mine, mine. Everything about anything that he does, mine. Anytime you go grab anything, anytime you move anything, he's like, no, mine. I'm like, I didn't teach him the word no, and I didn't teach him the word mine, but somehow he's got those two pretty much mastered. And I realize even at babies, that's just a natural tendency. And what we call that in Bible terms is the flesh. Our flesh our fleshly desires cause us to have these tendencies to become very, very selfish. But see, there's a problem between, between our fleshly desires and what the Spirit would say to us in His Word. The Spirit says, I, I want you to live completely different than that. I want you to live a completely unselfish lifestyle. I think about um, uh, James chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, where it talks about these selfish tendencies. We'll put it up on the screen for you if you don't have your Bible. It says this, but if you have... Uh, any bitter envy and self-seeking, that would be selfishness, and self-seeking in your hearts. Do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above. It is earthly, sensual. What's this last word saying? Demonic. Demonic. Like, the Bible's pretty strong here. Saying when we have those selfish tendencies come up, that self-seeking desire, we act on those tendencies, that is not something that God sent down from above. That is something that's earthly, sensual, and he even goes on to say a very strong word. He said it's demonic. Demonic. Now, that, that's, that's a powerful, powerful statement. It's a pretty powerful book, though. Okay, so let's keep diving in here. I, I was thinking as a teenager. You remember as a teenager? I remember wanting to do the things that I wanted to do. My way was the right way. You remember this? As you began to get a little bit smarter and maybe you get a little respect because your parents would say, oh man, that was a brilliant idea. As a teenager, you come up with some concept and they go, ooh, that was really, that was really smart of you. Then all of a sudden it gets your confidence up and now all of a sudden you feel like you can just, you know everything. <laughs> and so you kind of morph into this, this system of my way is the only right way. Everybody else's way, that can't be right. We begin to question. You remember this question in your parents? Why are we doing that? Remember that why? And don't you, you that have teen, uh, teenagers that are parents, don't you hate that when they ask you why? Because it's like, 
I don't have time to tell you every detail of every situation here. I just need you to do what I'm asking you to do. And you keep questioning what I'm asking you to do. And you need to know that as a parent, I have your best interest at heart. So as a teenager in the room, this may be you today. You have those tendencies to always question everything because you've got a way of doing things that may be wars against the way that, that your parents are saying. As teenagers, it, it stuck with us, right? It didn't go away from uh, babies. It just kind of carried on. As a young adult, I remember thinking, uh, what do I want to do with my life? At this stage in my life, it was all about me and trying to decide where I was going to go. Remember young adults, you guys, you're getting out of that school age, you know, you're getting out and you're about to go into college and you're going, I have to make a decision what's best for me. And I don't want any, I don't really care what anybody else is saying. I don't really care about any guidance there. I just, I just want to do what, what feels right in my eyes. When I see something, I'll pursue what I feel is the way. It's selfishness, really. Because really what's happening there is there's so much of that mindset focused on you that you have no attention being paid to anyone else. You can't even see what everybody else might need. You're not even focused on that. It's that, that mindset of, I've got to figure out me because me is number one right now. It's stuck with us from being a teenager up into this young adult phase. And I guess I could keep going and just continue to say, no matter how old we get, those tendencies still remain, don't they? Can we get an amen on that? Amen, they're still there. When I think about the way that I am now, I'm constantly on this kick of how can I get more, attain more, accomplish more, and be more. Y'all, y'all find that? You know, as you, as you get out of those college age, you got, I got to accomplish more. I've got to attain more. We got to get this figured out. And, you know, as men especially, we're just goal setters. Y'all goal setters. Like, we just, as men, we just like, we got to do this, and then we got to do this. You know, we're just blazing, right? We're going to figure a way out. And we can get wrapped up in that if we're not careful. And we can get so selfish at times that we d- divide our attention away from things that are really important, like our family. And men, we're, we're probably more guilty of it than anyone else because we don't focus our attention enough time with our families. And the reason I know that without asking that is because if our culture had men that were focusing spiritually, leading their households, our community would look different than it does right this very moment. Because the men have been called to lead the charge according to God's word as to go forward but we're not leading the charge. Um, it kind of reminds me of the flat screen TV when it first came out. Y'all remember the flat screen? You had the big hunking ones, the big old ones that are like 98 pounds, and some of them were like, you know, super heavy, even heavier than that, and you were carrying it, and you're, you're so happy when that flat screen came out, you thought, I'm gonna get me one of those bad boys. That looks awesome. And you remember they had the 42-inch flat screen, and we were like, dude, I've never even seen 42 inches of a screen. Like, this is gonna be insane. And we thought, we got to go get one of those. And then, and then we realized that like just a few, few months or maybe even like six months later, they came out with like the 55 inch. Y'all remember that? And it was like, dude, they have a 55 inch TV. Y'all hear that? 55 inches. And then they came out with the 72 inch TV. And get this, I was at Sam's Club the other day. They have a 96 inch flat screen TV. I'm not going to lie. I wanted it. All right. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be serious here. I, I wanted it. It was like, dude. That would be awesome. Like, who doesn't need a big flat screen posted on their wall in their bedroom while their spouse is trying to sleep, right? That's exactly what we need. Light up the whole room, keep it noisy. We need the new iPhone 5S because the iPhone 4 you can barely talk out of. Like, you can barely communicate out of that thing. And I I laugh when I think about and say these kind of statements because when you think back, we don't really need any of that. (laughs) We don't. It's a want. 
And I'm not even going to tell you that those are selfish ones. That's not even what I'm saying. It only becomes selfish whenever it takes the place of something that's very important. When we're focusing all our time about, hey, dude, we've got we've to attain, attain, attain. If we can get this, then we'll be more. You know, some of us, were looking for this achievement. If we can achieve more, if we can look good in the eyes of our boss and our boss will give us that promotion, then just maybe, just maybe he'll give us a raise. And if we work overtime and we work 67 hours a week, then all of a sudden we'll have enough for the PS4 and we'll be able to play on PlayStation all day, all night, or we'll be able to go to that trip to Fiji that we always wanted to go to, right? Or we could just buy the five-gallon gallon of mustard that we always wanted, right? Something like that, you know? You, you get whatever you want, you, but we have these tendencies where we want that stuff, and those are not bad until they take the place of our family. We spend all those hours away from our family. That's an issue. And I'm just, I'm just coming to the conclusion as a pastor, as I observe things, that selfishness leads to family separation. Some of you guys, when I asked you to think of a person that was selfish, you thought of your mom. You thought that person's selfish. Some of y'all thought of your dad. Say so he's the most selfish person I've ever met. Some of y'all were thinking about a sibling. You're thinking, selfish. What's probably funny is probably none of us thought about ourselves. <laughs> right? Probably none of us. So you really didn't, you know, take that examination level. But I'm convinced that selfishness leads to family separations. Our families become more distant when we, when we put other things first. Um, when we're so absorbed with how our boss wants to give us a raise and we work all this overtime, we miss opportunities to pour into our children in ways that are going to impact them for forever, leading the way to what's important. Do you know that your, your kids do what you do? Some of y'all saw that picture on Facebook I put uh, of JJ putting the underwear on his head. Y'all see that picture this week? All right, some of y'all are on Facebook and you're like, praise God, I don't want to be friends with him, right? Um, but, but basically, JJ, he, he just walked around, he thought it was the coolest thing. He's got some Angry Birds underwear and he put them on his head and he just started wearing it as a hat. He thought it was the coolest thing. Well, I've done that before. And so he just kind of mimics whatever I do. And I realized very, very logically this week that he's going to do whatever I do. He's going to do whatever I do. Now, there should be some weight to us when you hear a statement like that, because your kids are going to do whatever they see you do. There should be some weight on your shoulders because of that. You got some eyes looking at you that matter. They matter, and they're going to mimic whatever you do. Are you going to lead the way to God's presence and to, into his throne room and how to live more like Jesus and become like him, or are you going to live selfishly? Because let me just tell you something. What's wrong with our world today is that selfish mentality. Keeping our eyes focused on things that don't matter. If you got your Bibles with you today, I want to kind of give you an example of this family separation, this selfishness leading to family separation. If you got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3. And uh, it's kind of funny how the very first book of the Bible, the very first family in the Bible, Adam and Eve, dealt with this whole idea of selfishness leading to family separation. So I want to talk about it for just a few minutes. If you got your iPhone out or smartphone, you can actually download an app called uh, Uversion. Version, it'll give you the Bible on your phone, on your iPad, on your Kindle. And again, if you don't have a Bible with you, or you don't have any of that, we're going to throw it up on the screen. But we want you to soak into God's Word and really understand what His Word says. Selfishness leads to family separation. As you're getting there, I want to kind of set up the story that I'm about to tell you. First off, in the first two chapters of the Bible, we see some pretty amazing and important things happen. Okay? Pay close attention to this. In Genesis chapter 1, we see that God created everything that we know and see. 
Okay, so if you're here today and you're a guest, you say, well, I don't know if, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to fit in. I don't know if I believe all this stuff. I don't know what's going on. And you're maybe questioning the Bible. I would start right here in your decision-making process of, do you believe that God created everything that you know and see? Because according to the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, it says that God spoke the earth into existence. Spoke. Some of us, we like to think of God as this, uh, this kind of Mona Lisa God. You know, like he loves everybody and he's there for everybody and nothing ever bad is going to happen because we have this Mona Lisa God. But I'm going to tell you, we serve a powerful God, okay? A powerful God. He's not just this pretty picture, this pretty face, or this cool Bible story that we're telling you. We serve a God who's powerful. His words were so powerful that he said, let there be light and there was light, he said, let there be animals, and there was animals, birds. Man, who could think of all this stuff? Insects, caterpillars, they're butterflying around. Who, who could create something like that? He's powerful, and he spoke these things into existence. He said, let there be sea, let there be dry land, let there be plants, let there be trees, let there be light, air, oxygen, H2O. He created it all. If you're a guest today and you're saying, I question all this stuff about God, you should start right here with, do you believe that God created everything that you know and see? Because Genesis chapter 1, very first book, says it all. We also see that on that sixth day of creation, he created man in his own image. The first man was named Adam. He created Adam, he put him in a perfect place, and uh, he, he's got this whole plan for him. And he basically says, I've got this garden that has thousands and thousands and thousands of trees that you can eat out of. Thousands. Probably hundreds of thousands. It's called the Garden of Eden. Enter into this place. It's a perfect place. There's no sin yet. Nothing's ever bad happened. He puts these people that he loves there, Adam. He creates Eve. And he says, here's this place. You can eat out of any tree, but I don't want you to do this one thing. There's one thing that I, I just can't have you do. Do not with whatever's in you, eat out of this tree called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't do it. Now think about this. Some of y'all go, well, why did God put that there? Well, listen, he said, there's thousands of things that you can do. So he's not a limiting God. He's not like wanting to not let you have fun. That's not the God that I'm talking about, okay? The God I'm talking about is, he said, there's unlimited opportunity here. There's just one thing I don't want you to do. One, very simple, just one. Don't eat of this tree. Okay, so it's huge right here, and that kind of will catch us up to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Uh, let's kind of read together and just follow along, and we'll stop at different points and just kind of dig into what God would have for us today. And I'm a firm a believer as a pastor that I don't want to waste your time, and I don't want to waste my time. So what I want to do is I don't want to just run through Scripture just to say we went through it. I want to make sure that as we read, we understand what we're talking about, okay? So can we, can we go on this journey together? Is that Okay. All right, good, good, good. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Stop. Can we take any guesses here on who we would think the serpent to be? The devil, Satan, the enemy, okay? He's more cunning than any beast of the field. And he said to this woman, he, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. And that's the right answer. We can eat of all the other trees, millions of them to choose from, but of this one tree. So she's just telling him kind of, here's what God said. Now, we're good at that, aren't we? Devil comes and says, you know, here's, here's, here's an opportunity for you to fall into temptation. Here's an opportunity for you to do something wrong. And we're good at saying, oh, 
We know that that's wrong because God said that that was wrong. And in our minds, we have that little war going on. Where we, we intellectually know we probably shouldn't do that. But let's continue to read and see what happens here. It says, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, God never said you couldn't touch it. He didn't. She kind of added that part in. Kind of added that part in. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Very quickly, I hope you're aware that anything that gets thrown into our minds that is against God's word and against what he said, anything, it doesn't matter how big or how small that it is, anything that gets thrown in our minds that's against God's word is not from above. It's not from above. It's from the devil. And it's to draw you away from who God wants you to be. And you got to power through that. And see, he was playing on some selfish desires here with Eve. He was saying, hey, God just knows that once you eat of that fruit, man, it looks good. It looks good. Once you eat of that fruit, you're going to be like God. You're going to know good and evil. You're going to become more. You're going to be more. And he, he played on those selfish tendencies, much like he does with us today. And he's trying to cast doubt in the mind of Eve about what God said. Because God already said, don't eat it, don't go near it, don't do any of that. He's trying to cast out. Do you know that God um, many times is trying to protect you from Satan, but, but we allow so many influences around us and put ourselves in situations where people can begin to tempt us to do things that are against what God would want us to do. And we've got to be smarter, guys. As followers of God's word, we can't be going places that are going to pull us down to a path that's going to lead us to destruction. And we know it. That's the thing is we know intellectually, we're smart people. We know if we go to that party, we're probably going to get drunk. If we go to that party, there's probably going to be some illegal activity going on. If we go to that party, there might be some people having sex and they might invite me to be a part of it. That's real world. That's real world. That, that's kind of the world. And, and the reality is you'll get invited to that stuff. But you need to know as a Christian, that's probably not the best advice to go to that place because you're going to be tempted. And just because, just because you think, you know, I'm a strong person doesn't mean that you're able to withstand. Because the devil is cunning and he's smart. And he knows what to throw in front of you guys. Y'all hear me on that? He knows what to throw in front of your path. He knows what's going to make you falter. He knows what's going to cause you to be against becoming who God wants you to be. He knows that if he can keep you away from freedom, it'll ruin your whole life. So when the woman, let's see the response here in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. Man, there's so much stuff that looks pleasant to our eyes nowadays, isn't there? Man, you look out and you go, ooh, I'd like to have that. And a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate it too. This family's been lied to and told how, how great things would be if they did it their way instead of God's way. If they did it. This little devil way. Now, nobody ever thinks, I'm going to go out and, and live like the devil. We don't think like that. Subtle. Subtle, because the devil's smart. Because of this act of selfish disobedience, sin entered into the world right here in Genesis chapter 3. Very first book, very first thing, boom, sin entered into the world. Now, this is a huge piece of information I'm about to give you, because this has the ability to change your life. Are you ready for this? Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death came upon all of us through that sin, death spread to all men 
because all sinned. Here's what that means in, the, in just kind of modern day terms. Let me break it down. When that sin happened right there in Genesis chapter 3, it created a whole situation for everybody that would be populated afterwards. Sin would just spread to every single person. Nobody's born without it. That's why my little boy Jace, selfish, selfish, selfish. I didn't have to teach him it. Sin was there because we're in this flesh. And that sin came upon us. And it's an issue because now death comes upon all men because all of us sin. Why is that an issue? It's an issue because if you die without having a relationship with God, without making the decision to make him Lord, leader, and CEO of your life, if you die without making that decision, that commitment to God, you're going to be separated from God for all of eternity. Some, some family separation is going to happen. Some, some family separation. I want to talk to you a little bit about this. Sin separates us from our leader and causes us to have that separation. Here's what the Bible says in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them... They were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves what? What did they make themselves? Coverings. Coverings, right? They did what many of us try to do when we know that we've done wrong. Try to cover it up. Now, here's the problem with us. We, we got these minds that are human, and these human minds are an issue because we somehow think that we're going to juke out God. He ain't going to see that we're over here, you know, and we did that. God sees everything. You can't hide from the eyes of the Lord. If you're not doing what God's called you to do, you ain't faking him out. Now, you can fake these people sitting around you out. You can fake me out as a pastor, but none of that matters. Don't, don't measure yourself up to what we see or don't see. None of that matters. What matters is the eyes of the Lord and how he looks down upon you, and he sees where you're at and what you're doing. Many times we try to hide our sin, though, just like they did. Verse 8 says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wives, what'd they do? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now stop right here. Let's talk. Many times when we do something wrong, we get ashamed, don't we? We get ashamed. And we know that we're not perfect. Can we say amen to that? We're not perfect. Amen. All right. We know we're not perfect. So the sins come in and we, we have these tendencies and we do wrong. And then what happens, the reason why the churches aren't full every, every single week, the reason they're not full is because people are hiding from God. They're hiding from God. Now, it doesn't really make any sense because God sees and knows everything that's going to happen. You're not really hiding from God, but we feel ashamed. And I want you to know today, maybe you came in here and you're kind of struggling with this whole idea of church and, and coming and being a part. Let me just tell you, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. God wants you in his house. And he extends his hand out to you today. No matter how bad you think you've been, he's not looking for you to clean yourself up first before you can come and be a part. He's looking for you to come and be a part and then let him take care of the rest. He'll clean it all up and he'll revolutionize you. But you have to make yourself available. You can't hide. Verse 9 says this, Then the Lord God called to Adam, and he said to him, Where are you? And I think that's funny, because God knew where he was. He just asked him a question, just kind of playing here. Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Just so everyone in the room knows, God sees where we're at. He sees every single secret about us. There's not a secret hidden from his ears, from his eyes, from his presence. He was there with everything that went on. Those selfish tendencies that we have, even though they're not from God, God has the power to extinguish them out of us. 
He has the power to let you overcome. Let's keep reading. Verse 11 says this. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? He's holding him accountable right here. That's all he's doing. See, because he could have said, hey, I know what you did, but he didn't. He just asked him a question. He said, hey, man, I see the journey that you're on. I know that I've set this structure up. You're in this perfect place. There's nothing bad around here. I just want to know from you, have, have you eaten of that one thing that I told you not to eat out of? He's holding him accountable to, to think about his actions. And many times, I want, I want you to know that I invite the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to hold me accountable to my actions. And I hope that you would do the same thing. Ask, ask the Holy Spirit to say, hey, what is it in my life that needs to be changed? What is it that I need to do to, to make some differences here? See, here's, here's where the selfishness leads to the family separation with Adam and Eve. Here's where, here's where it happens. Adam eats the fruit because Eve held a Beretta 950 jet fire pistol to his head and told him that if he didn't eat the fruit, then he was going to be shot. That didn't happen, all right? None of that happened. And that just did, that's not what the Bible says. He ate of it, not because of anybody forcing him, but out of his own selfish desire. Now, it could have been the selfishness of wanting to be more like God, having that. Or it could have been like, hey, I just want my wife to be happy, and here she is telling me, oh, I'm just going to do whatever she says. You know, could have been that. Could have been that. But nonetheless, he can't really escape the fact that it's his decision that he made. Now, he, here's, here's where he's going to try to push the blame. Ready? Verse 12. Then the man said, the woman who you gave me, God, to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate it. Man, what a guy, man. What a winner. This is guy, he's just a stud, you know. He's just like, hey, I had this problem, and God, it's all your fault, really, because you gave me the woman, and she told me, and like, she looks good, and so now I'm, a, you know, what, what am I, what do you want me to do, right? What do you want me to do? But that's, that's an issue there, because now he separated himself not only from God, because God knew what he did. Now he separated himself from his own wife. That could be an issue, all right? I don't recommend that if you're married today, okay? Don't try to separate yourself from your own spouse. Verse 13 says this, and the Lord God said to the woman, Eve, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. Uh, nobody's wanting to take responsibility for any actions, are they? I'm, I'm sure none of us in the room are like that, though. So I guess I could skip along and probably not focus too much time because none of us have these type of issues or struggles or problems. We could just probably skip on through, right? What do you think, Kara? We yeah. keep going. Now, if there's any separation that's the right separation, I am grateful that Eve separated herself from the serpent, right? And said, hey, it's his fault. I'll stay away from him. That's a good advice for you. That We should probably separate ourselves from any advice that the devil would give us. Now, the problem is, though, for Eve, it's a little too late. A little too late. She already messed up. She already caused an issue here. There's a problem. She ate of that fruit out of her own selfish desires, and that caused a separation from her and God. We talk about a piece of fruit, and some of you say, well, I'm not going to eat of the fruit, man. I'm not going to the garden. <laughs> Here's the deal. Day to day, you face different tendencies of that selfishness that can pull you away from God. The question is, how is your response going to be day to day? Day to day. I want you to examine yourself. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says that if we examine ourselves, then God won't have to examine us. Man. That, that's probably a verse to take to heart. If we examine ourselves and judge ourselves and say, hey, what are we doing? Have we figured this out yet? We can correct our own behavior many times and say, you know what? I know I'm not right right here and I need to make a change. We can make those decisions or we can just ignore them and God will have to 
bring that correction upon us to get us focused back where we need to focus on. Look at this. Um, skip down with me um, to verse 23. This is where the family really is torn apart. Um, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden. He sends Adam out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Selfishness leads to family separation. Let me really break this down. Here's what God intended for all of this. He intended to have a man and a woman who were in a great scenario to live in peace and happiness and joy. That was his true intention. He didn't, he didn't want all this chaotic stuff happening. He didn't. He created them this way. And he had them there in a perfect position, in a perfect spot. And he was the head of the household. God was. God was. And see, what would happen is they had this communication. Because remember, Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. They had this one-on-one time, man, where they could just go out together and have some time. Man, what a great life. And you say, man, how did he mess that one up? God was right there with him. How could that possibly happen? It's plain as day what he could have done and what he probably should have done, but he didn't do it. And now we're in this issue where sin is passed upon all the world. Listen, we can't go back, but we can, we, we can really understand what the Bible's saying and understand our condition because of this sin. And our condition is that we're all sinners. And we're all in need of a Savior. And we all have that same model that we're given that we need to be looking to God as our leadership, our lordship. We look to him as leader and he guides our households. Then the man is called to lead from there. He's supposed to look to Christ. The woman then could follow the man. What if, what if the world was like this? What if the world could actually believe that the man was going to follow after Christ? See, women really don't have a problem um, really following a man who's following Christ. They just don't. You say, well, you don't know who I'm with, or you don't know that my situation, you know, she would never want to follow. Are you following Christ? Is my answer back to you. Are you following Christ, or are you following your own path, your own selfish ways? Because no woman is going to have an easy time following a man who's out there just being selfish, going after what he thinks is right. Back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 1, God was the head of the household, and he said, man, I want you to lead the way. And I want you to have this family. But then he had to say, I'm going to drive you out of the Garden of Eden. That's a family separation. It's an issue. See, we all have a choice that we're going to make today. Are you going to continue down the path of that selfishness that's in, in our hearts? That's driving others probably away from you? See, because if you've got some family members that you go, we don't talk. We haven't talked in years. Could be a mom, could be a dad, could be a sibling. I want to challenge back to you right now and hold you accountable for a minute and say, hey, has selfishness driven that relationship away from you? You say, well, maybe on their end it has. I want you to talk about you for a minute. I won't talk about them. I want to talk about you. Has selfishness drove other people away? Is you having to have things your, your way all the time really worth sacrificing your relationship with your family? Is you having to have stuff your way all the time really worth sacrificing your relationship with your family? Because we all have those tendencies. We all want things done a certain way. There's a way that we would do it. Is it worth your, your wife really losing love for you? Losing respect for you? Is it worth that? Those are questions you've got to ask. A good question to ask your family, and this is a big challenge, and I like to give some big challenges out. I'm not scared of big challenges. Here we are, right? Here we are in this building. What are we doing, right? Not scared of big challenges. 
He's like, God, but I want to ask you a question. Here's a big challenge. I want you to go home and sit at your dinner table today. I want you to ask your family if you're a selfish person. Whoa, I ain't never coming back to this church ever again. <laughs> Daggone people. What ludicrous stuff up in this place. Listen, let me caution you with what I just said. If you ask your spouse and your family if you're a selfish person, you better be ready for the response. Now, here's the deal. They didn't come up with this idea. God did. God came up with the idea of let's not be selfish. And, and I really felt the Lord was leading me to present that to you today, to ask that question to your family. So it wasn't their idea. It's not their fault they asked you that question. Don't be mad at them. Don't be mad at their response either. If you're going to have the courage enough to ask that question, you be ready for that response. And you understand the heart of that, that, that response. The heart of that response is people want a relationship with us, but many times their own selfishness is driving them away. There's people in the room, you say, well, I think I know the answer to that question already. Well, dude, there's a difference between thinking about knowing the answer and actually knowing the answer. The only way you're going to know the answer to the question, are you selfish, is if you ask. That's a, that's a question right there. I try to, the very best I can, give you information out of God's word that's going to be as relevant to your life as possible. I don't want to come in here and just spend 25, 30 minutes of our time together so you walk away and say, oh, I don't really know about all that stuff. I don't, don't really know what they were even trying to say there. That's not the point of today. The point is to give you something that's going to change your life. Aaron prayed it. He said, I don't want to leave here without being changed. And you know what? Anybody that's seeking that change is going to find that change. I'm, I'm a firm believer that Aaron will get changed. He'll walk away with something today because he's seeking it. He wants it. He desires it. And today, the question is, are you selfish? Are you selfish? Now, I didn't ask you if everybody else is selfish. I asked, are you selfish? For the others of you today, you may ask yourself this kind of question. Is making more money and attaining more worth having no one? Mm. Is making more money and attaining more worth having no one? That's something you struggle with today. Let me ask you to think about the words in this verse. Mark chapter 8, verse 36 gives us a strong insight to this. Mark 8, 36 says this. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Now, men were, were tend to be very logical at times, and women too, but, but men were, seem to have that logic gene in us. That's very logical. What does it profit us if we can't take it with us? What's it going to profit you to keep, keep making money, making money, and spending, 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 and getting all this stuff that you're not going to be able to take with you? And really, the reality is you might live a life of loneliness because of those selfish tendencies. Is it worth gaining early possession and having no one? As we close this lesson, think of the difference we can make in our community, guys, if we committed to become more like Jesus and live unselfish lives that pointed others to him. What if it was just completely unselfish? Think about that. Think about this for a second. John chapter 3, verse 16. Probably the most popular verse in the Bible. Most people that don't even go to church would probably say they can understand this verse or know this verse or heard it somewhere. It says this, For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. His only son. The very reason why Jesus came to this earth was to give you and I an opportunity to experience true life. True life. Him giving was an unselfish act. Remember, God was in a perfect environment in heaven. He didn't really need to come down here for any reason. But he came down here out of an opportunity to bridge a gap between you and him. And that gap was sin. Sin separates us from him. 
But God says, I don't like that separation. I really believe he's up in heaven and he looks down upon his children and he says, my heart is broken over the idea that, that I'm not with him and that they're not with me. I do not want to live this way. So he literally said, we're going to create a bridge to get to them. And he came down in the form of a man, in the form of a human, and he suffered the same tendencies that we suffer with. He bore all sin upon his shoulders when he paid his, that price for our sin on the cross. Everything. Anything you've gone through, you say, well, I just, oh, man, it's, it's really bad, and I've done this, and I've done this. Listen, God bore everything, and he, he endured all that temptation when he was on that cross. And so I want you to know today that he can understand you. He gets you better than anyone gets you. He gets you better than you get yourself. And he created a bridge when he, he spread his arms out and he died. That very moment, the veil was torn. And we get to bow our knee to the cross and we get to say at the cross is where it happened, where sin had the opportunity to be paid for. And based upon that opportunity for sin to be paid for, I get to have a relationship with God. But I challenge you in the room, do you have what it takes to follow Jesus? Because life is not going to be magically easy just because you say a commitment prayer. That's not what it's like. That's not what it's like. I'm not giving you a feel-good thing. I'm giving you a challenge. Do you have what it takes to follow after Christ? To live out his word. To be a, a community changer. Because you have the ability. Anyone that believes in him, the Bible says, should not perish but have everlasting life. See, God's wanting to give you the greatest thing in the world. It's the greatest gift that anyone can give anybody. Everlasting eternal life. A home with God for forever. But you have to understand your condition today. If you've never made the decision to make him Lord, leader, and CEO, that's a problem. That's a problem. It's going to separate you from for forever. Don't let selfish tendencies today keep you away from God. Be a community changer. I wonder what our church would look like if we truly made a commitment to live unselfish this week. I didn't ask you for forever to live unselfishly. I just said, can you focus one week on, of your life on just focusing on not being selfish? What would it look like if 100 people here today said, you know what, this week it's not about me. This week I'm going to make it about everybody else. Some of y'all are too scared to take the challenge probably. But the reality is, what would it look like? We're so not used to seeing it because everybody's selfish. We can't even see it. What would our families look like if we thought of our spouse first instead of ourselves? I wonder what that would look like. What would our families look like if teenagers were thoughtful towards their parents and what their parents do for them? All that they provide. All the good that they bring. What if they, what if they were grateful? You say, I don't even know what that would look like. <laughs> right? But, but the reality is, unselfish lives. What would our community look like if they saw the people of Revolution Church actually live out this stuff? What do you think that would look like? What do you think would happen? What do you think God could do? The greatest commandment of all is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And God was smart when he said that. He's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's perfect. He said, love your neighbor as you love yourself because we're selfish people and we love ourselves a lot. What if we lived out that commandment? 